You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Any flammable liquids or firearms? In the box? Nah. This situation is not going to be controllable for much longer. You got a pretty good appetite for someone who was just shot at. I stopped eating every time somebody tried to hurt me, I'd be a skeleton. I want to be up front with you. If you get hungry. They were in the mafia. Nah, there's no such a thing. That's a one-off or one of many. Too soon to tell. Hello, and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Dave Jorgensen, senior video producer and TikTok guy here at The Post. Today, we're talking about the new drama series, Tulsa King. Joining me now is the show's executive producer and writer, Terrence Winter. Terrence, welcome to Washington Post Live. Thank you. Happy to be here. I'm, I'm very excited. And I understand that Sylvester Stallone had to schedule because of a conflict. But the good news is I have about 100 questions for you. So uh, we're going to fill that space nicely. Ready. I'm ready and very yes. excited to talk about the show. Awesome. Uh, quick note to our audience. We want to hear from you as well. So if you have any questions for Terrence, please tweet us using the handle at postlive. That's at P-O-S-T-L-I-V-E. OK, uh, let's get started. So um, a lot of mob stories are set in New York and New Jersey, as you well know. And Tulsa King does start off there, but very quickly, Sylvester Stallone's character, Dwight Man Freddy, is told in the pilot episode, there's nothing left for you here. You're going to Tulsa. So I have to ask you, Terrence, why Tulsa? Well, that was the, the appeal of the show. You know, the challenge of doing a mob show is, is trying to find a fresh way in. So, uh, you know, the original incarnation of the pilot written by Taylor Sheridan had the action in Kansas City. Uh, you know, the idea was to try to put the character in a place that had absolutely no connection to the Italian-American mafia. And Kansas City actually had a, a long and storied history with the Italian-American mob. So I thought, let's try to find a place that's even more obscure, the last place on earth you'd think you'd find a mafioso. And for me, that felt like Oklahoma and more specifically Tulsa. Yeah, I, I, so I'm weirdly in a good position to say I think you made a good call because I grew up in Kansas City, but I also lived in Tulsa for a year. Uh, and I feel like Tulsa is the right spot. Have you had you visited Tulsa before or what was uh, your relationship to that city? I had, you know, Tulsa was a mystery to me, much like it is to our character. You know, it was only a place I knew from movies and the map and looking, uh, you know, looking at pictures. So, you know, when I started writing uh, my version of the pilot, I, I booked a trip to Tulsa and I ended up spending three days there. I lived in the Mayo Hotel. Uh, where Dwight lives on the show and just started wandering around and talking to people. You know, I kind of had the same experience. Um, you may be able to tell um, I have a New York accent, I'm told. Uh, so I was curious to see how people would react to me, uh, but they couldn't have been nicer. It was actually, you know, really lovely. But yeah, just wandered around and soaked it in and open skies and, you know, blue skies and, you know, horses and kind of stumbled on, uh, you know, some local attractions. One of the things featured in the second episode is something called the center of the universe, which is this acoustical anomaly, uh, this circle of bricks where if you stand inside it and speak out loud, you can't hear yourself. 
uh, and, and your voice, or rather, your voice echoes back to you louder than you spoke, uh, which is kind of fun. And I thought, wow, I could, I could maybe use this in the show and work on it. And I, and I ended up in, uh, employing it. But yeah, it was really, uh, I really liked it immediately as soon as I got there. Yeah, I was really excited when that showed up in the second episode. I, I kind of thought to myself, I don't know if it's appeared in film or TV before, but I'm really glad it finally is because it's, it's the perfect know. device. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. Happy to put it on the map. For sure. Uh, so I think your accent's kind of New Yorker, but it's not, you know, it's not, uh, you know, Sylvester Stallone's uh, East Coast accent. Right. But as a New Yorker, Dwight is like a fish out of water in Tulsa. And we have a clip that alludes to that. So let's take a look. You don't need to put yourself through this thing. I want to be your friend. I want you to be my friend. I don't want to hurt your feet. Just open the safe, please. My God, how much you got there? Half a million. This is how it's going to work. I'm going to take 20% a week. Hey, we all got bosses. Even I answer to somebody. But in exchange, I'll protect you from the gangs. What gangs? And the law. This is legal. And if you get attacked by locusts, I'll spray them. Please, don't make me have to be an asshole about this, okay? I protect you and you pay me a commission. Capiche? That's really all you're gonna take? What did I just say? We're partners. You make the money and I make sure you keep it. Do we have a deal? Do I have a choice? Absolutely not. I was so glad to see Martin Starr uh, have a you know pretty prominent role in the show as well. Uh, but you know, on top of a new location here, and this is right moments after he's arrived in Tulsa. What else is Dwight adjusting to? Well, you know, he's he's just gotten out of prison after 25 years too, so he's he's kind of a guy who just got out of a time capsule. So not only is he in a different place, that place is completely befuddling because there are things in it that he just doesn't even understand. He doesn't know what Uber is. He can't believe coffee costs five dollars a cup. Uh, virtual reality. There's there's no end of things that are making him scratch his head, and he's really trying to adjust and fit in. And he's also completely an alien in this place. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of things coming at this guy uh, at the same time. And he's also still required to earn a living, and he's got a very limited skill set in which to do that. He is still a gangster. Uh, he's a a kinder, gentler gangster than he was 25 years ago, but a gangster nonetheless in a place where that has never seen anybody like him. Yeah, those adjustments are, there's a lot of kind of comedy, you know, just inserted this in moments. And there's one part where he he's uh, trying to get a glass cup at the coffee shop. And they said, well, I, you know, they appreciate him going green. Uh, so there's really funny sort of moments like yeah, that. Where this, this really is a dark comedy more than it is a drama. Uh, you know, it's, but it's a comedy born of uh, circumstance and the reality of taking people who are very unlike each other and dropping them in into a, a, a melting pot together. You know, it's not like the traditional sitcom set up a joke and pay it off. It's really more about behavior and taking people who in a million years would never spend time with each other and having them uh, occupy their worlds and seeing how a guy like Dwight negotiates his way through the day is, is sort of where the comedy is. Yeah, and and I believe I read in an interview that it was your idea to have him have been in jail for 25 years. Is that a big part of that decision of just the contrast of 25 years ago in New York to current present day in Tulsa? 
Yeah, you know, I, I felt having him uh, in jail for the last 25 years set up an inherent conflict with his mob family where he gets out expecting fully to be rewarded for his time in prison and the fact that he kept his mouth shut and he adhered to that uh, that code of uh, omerta and didn't say anything and instead he gets, you know, unceremoniously sent by the boss's son, who's now a grown man, uh, to Tulsa, Oklahoma. So he considers this a huge slap in the face and a step backwards and uh, he's really annoyed and uh, rightfully so not only is he getting rewarded he's getting banished uh, but he still has to be a good soldier and still has to earn and still has to make his way in the world so uh, i think the prison element also enabled us to uh, present a guy who spent the last 25 years reading and working out every day so he's incredibly formidable and he's really well read and smart and thoughtful and a much more thinking gangster than he was 25 years earlier. So it just makes for a more interesting in-depth uh, persona. Yeah, there's a line and I'm blanking on it, but I just remember him saying uh, to Martin Starr about it for his edification, he's basically giving him a lesson uh, and, and I wish I remembered what, but I love that he's really this informed gangster that's yeah, also dropping knowledge on them. I surprise, you know, you don't, you don't expect, you know, uh, you know, quotes, uh, you know, like, you know, I'm happy to be your Rubicon, you know, to come out of a guy, that guy's mouth, you know, or he references Arthur Miller in the second episode of View from the Bridge. And, you know, it's a little jarring at first that you're like, oh, wow, this guy is actually very well read. Yeah. And and you brought a lot uh, to what is really a creative partnership with Taylor Sheridan, who created Yellowstone, Tulsa King, and pretty much everything else that I've seen on Paramount Plus. Can you talk a little bit about uh, how he approached you to basically be the showrunner for this show? Yeah, I mean, this uh, I inherited this, uh, which was my great good fortune. Uh, Taylor and I share uh, representatives, and I got a call one day that Taylor had written a pilot literally over the course of a weekend. Uh, originally, it was set in Kansas City. It was originally called Kansas City King, about an aging mobster who gets sent to Kansas City. And Taylor, you know, being Taylor with his nine other shows going on, couldn't possibly run this. And he said, well, what about Terry Winter? He might be a great choice to take this over. So as soon as I heard Taylor Sheridan and Sylvester Stallone, I said, where do I sign? Uh, they said, do you want to read the pilot first? I said, okay, all right, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm doing this. I uh, read the pilot, thought it was great, real fun, had some ideas, you know, putting the character in jail for 25 years, maybe giving him a family and, and having him really at odds with his mob family. Uh, so Taylor and I had a quick Zoom call. I pitched him what I wanted to do. He said, great, this is your baby. I just have visitation rights. Go do your thing. And uh, that's what I did. And I, I literally only met Taylor in person one time. Uh, right before we wow. started filming, I met him and we had a dinner together and I went off to Kansas uh, to, to Tulsa <laughs> and he back to Texas and we did our things and here we are. Well, I think it's really great, too, because it, obviously it's present day. It's different from, uh, you know, like 1887, for instance, or, or even Yellowstone or a different location. But it does feel like there is some thing behind it that seems to connect it with with those shows, which I, I really liked. Yeah. Um, we have an audience question from Joel Davison in Virginia, and he wants to know, what is the lesson behind the story you want viewers to understand? Uh, I think the lesson, if there is one, is that, you know, people are all the same, no matter where you are, what city you're in. I mean, I think we all want and care about the same things. We all have the same foibles. And I think there are more, we have more in common uh, than we have differences. And I think especially in today's climate, I think it's interesting 
uh, to point that out to people. You know, I even again, like as a New Yorker going to Oklahoma, I thought, you know, you know, if, if you believe everything you see on the news and in, the, in newspapers, you think you're going to be chased out of town with pitchforks because you're from New York. And it, it was not at all. I mean, people could not have been nicer, could not have been more welcoming and lovely. And again, you know, we all presumably you know love our kids and trying to get through the day and all want the same things. And a guy like Dwight is no different, you know, aside from the fact that he's a gangster, of course. Um, you know, we have a lot more in common than we than we think. And uh, I think yeah, that's I to having these two worlds collide kind of shows that. Right. And, and I'm not trying to spoil everything, but uh, there's a great scene with where he's showing that they have the same boots in the bar. Uh, this, they, you know, the Italian yeah. boots in the first. Yeah. Which is a perfect example. You go, oh, we have more in common than we thought. Right. Uh, so I, I, I really liked I really liked that comparison a lot. I'm curious, too. You just kind of said, obviously, he's different from us because he's a gangster. He's clearly the protagonist of this. He's the Tulsa King, all that kind of. How do you feel about what is your relationship to this character if he's a good or a bad guy? Well, I think, you know, I don't think anybody is any one thing. You know, we all have very, a lot of different colors, you know, and even with a gangster, you're going to, if you paint them in their full capacity, you're going to find moments where you relate to them. Even though, of course, you know, I've never been a mobster, never broken anybody's kneecaps. I mean, I've thought about it, but I uh, have never done anything like that. But, you know, when you, you meet a guy like that, you know, you realize, oh, he, he loves his family and he has opinions about things and he's got... Uh, you know, the same troubles that you have. And eventually you're going to find moments where, you know, if not empathy, but like relatability, at least you go like, all right, I understand why he's doing what he does or how he feels. And I feel that way too. Uh, so, you know, it's very hard to just, you know, depict somebody as like all good or all bad. Even the worst of us have moments of you go, well, you know what? I understand that he, you know, he cares about his kids and you'll find moments where you relate. And, you know, when, when that kind of character is portrayed by somebody as, as naturally, charming and likable as Sylvester Stallone, you get on board really quickly. Uh, even, you know, if you forgive him for a lot of bad behavior, you know, especially when you realize what he's been through. He's been to jail and he sacrificed so much. And the fa the mob family that he thought had his back actually don't really care about him that much. And he misses his daughter and he's trying to rectify his sins of the past. He's trying to be a better person. And it's, it's a lot easier to get behind somebody like that than it is just a one-note thug. Yeah, and, and as you kind of just alluded to, Stallone is he brings a lot of humanity to a role, even though he's just this giant, intimidating, somehow 75-year-old, which we even reference uh, in the show. Uh, I, I can't believe he's 75. Again, I, I, reference I think, that he doesn't look at. I, I, think he's more, I think he's more surprised about being 75 than anybody, because I don't think he feels it, and he certainly doesn't right. look at it, and he certainly doesn't present like it. You know, I was sitting with somebody the other day saying, he could beat the both of us up with one hand. He's 75 years old. Uh, like easily. I mean, he's he he looks like he's an in shape 40 year old. Uh, and it's yeah. it's really it's astounding to see it. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready for Rocky seven at this point. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he uh, you even have that in the show, too, where he basically knocks one out with one punch. And I was like, yeah, that's totally believable. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, no problem believing that. <laughs> right. Uh, so part of, uh, you know, the the sort of, I don't know, history of Stallone here is that He's very mostly well known for playing Rocky Balboa. Um, he's kind of the ultimate underdog in those movies. Even in the last few ones, he's always kind of sort of put up as the underdog uh, in those films. Do you consider Dwight to be an underdog in Tulsa King? 
Well, I don't think he was when he started out, when he went to jail. You know, he was a very formidable Bob captain, and he went to jail, and he did the right thing. Uh, but when he gets out, circumstances being what they are, make him an underdog. You know, he gets out thinking he's going to get rewarded for his time in jail and the fact that he adhered to that code of omerta, and he's going to now, now go back on top. And right away, you realize, oh, no, it's actually the opposite. You're actually being banished to somewhere you've never been before. In effect, you're being put back in jail. You're in a place where you don't know anybody and you're, you've got very limited conflict resolution skills and very limited amount of time left in your life to sort of make something of the choices you made and you're estranged from your family, your actual family, your daughter. Uh, so he, you, right out of the gate, gets set up to be an underdog and you're, you're rooting for the guy because he has gotten screwed over and, uh, and you really want to see him succeed even though he's, you know, he, he doesn't always do the right thing. I mean, but he is trying to be a better person, and I think that's uh, at least an easier way to get on board with him. Yeah, and and you said you mentioned earlier you were you were given the show basically with Stallone already attached. So what was it like writing it uh, to an actor that you already are probably quite well aware of at this point? But uh, what was it like writing the the script to him? Well, that that made it much easier for me. The idea that I knew it was going to be Sly Stallone and I had his voice in my head was was made it easier. But also the idea that I, I knew a little more about him. I knew how smart he is in real life, how well read, how worldly, how funny, sarcastic. So that's who this character was. So he himself said, you know, when he read my version of the pilot, said this fits me like a tailor-made suit. This is me. Aside from the gangster stuff, this is who I am. I am this 75-year-old man who has read a lot of books and has a lot of opinions and still trying to figure out the world and, you know, trying to, you know, make up for mistakes I've made in the past. So this is really me. And uh, that, that was the best compliment I could get. And then we took it from there and, and collaborated moving forward with the character. And, you know, of course, you know, as I said, you know, you don't just get a great actor with Sly Stallone. You get a writer, a director, a producer, an editor, a guy who's been doing this at the highest level for decades who's now your partner creatively. And it was just such a gift to be able to go to work every day and bat ideas around with him and uh, what you see is on screen. Yeah, and what a segue, because I wanted to ask you, you know, he's been doing film for, I think, at least six decades, and this is his first TV role in that time. Uh, what was that transition like for him, for you watching him? Do you think that, that uh, how, does that, how does that come off on screen? Is there anything that he's bringing from the film world to TV? Well, he certainly brings that incredible magnetism. I mean, you watch him you know, on a monitor and you go, oh, yeah, there's a reason this guy is an international superstar. You, you can't take your eyes off him. He, he's just he dominates every scene he comes into and immediately he's just magnetic. Uh, I think he has said, you know, it was challenging. Uh, you know, we were out in the middle of Oklahoma for five and a half months in I, it was over 100 degrees every day, and it was like 106 degrees 80% of the time. And, you know, much like the song from the show Oklahoma, where they say the wind comes whipping down the plane, I can tell you it really does. And it's hot, and it's long days, you know. It's, it's you know, it was it was challenging, you know. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot. But, you know, for Sly, it's like this is a guy who, you know, he's in almost every scene, and he's working long hours, but he is always prepared, ready to go, happy to be there. Uh, but it's a marathon, and he, I think he understood that, and obviously the guy who's done this many, many times. But he said it was like shooting a bunch of movies back-to-back, -back, straight through. So uh, by the end, we all needed a break, and, uh, and we got it, thank God, and uh, hopefully we'll get back there and do it again. Hopefully, like the musical, too, you got to see some of those uh, beautiful mornings as well I in did. Oklahoma. I, know, what I, I, did, I wasn't prepared for the sunset. Somebody, when I first got there, said, when do you see an Oklahoma sunset? And I thought... You've seen one sunset. You've seen them all. You go, actually, no. You, 
is absolutely stunning, the colors. Uh, and actually, at the end of our second episode, you get to see a little uh, bit of that sunset. Uh, Sly is standing at this place called the center of the universe right around dusk, and you get to see that incredible sky. It's really beautiful. It's perfect. Uh, well, not to take away from Oklahoma, but kind of back to New York. Uh, you're known for work on The Sopranos and Boardwalk Empire. What continues to intrigue you about these mobsters and what sets Tulsa King apart from your past work? Uh, you know, I'm always intrigued with people who live outside the lines of the law. You know, they're just more interesting. You know, not to say they're good or bad, but, you know, they're, they're just, uh, I always wonder, like, how do you get up in the morning and do this and behave this way and continue your life? So that's always something I'm interested in exploring. Uh, the difference here, uh, again, is is the, the, uh, the stroke of genius on Taylor's part of taking two beloved tried and true genres of cinema, the, the gangster film and the Western, and mashing them up. Uh, that, to me, was the thing that I was like, oh, this is a really interesting way in. So I can take that New York guy and drop him into a circumstance that you've never really seen before and then just let people interact with each other. And uh, that was, for me, the big difference and what made it so much fun to write. Yeah, and it's cool. I, I can't think of a comparison. Maybe there isn't, but the way he sort of starts to build a crew is really fun uh, to, for taking all these different characters that you've probably never seen together in any context. Right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, a lot of um, a lot of guys are very intuitive. Uh, they're very, they're like, they, they, they are just a masters of human nature and they size people up really quickly. Uh, and it's pretty interesting. You know, I, I've met a lot of mob guys over the years and they, they just have a handle on people that, a lot of us don't have. They just they just can sort of smell who's got a little larceny in their soul and who might be a kindred spirit. And I think Dwight uh, is one of those guys. I love it. Uh, so you've also written, speaking of real people you've met, biographical films, uh, everywhere from 50 Cent's Get Rich or Die Trying to The Wolf of Wall Street. How does the writing process differ when you're working on those versus The Tulsa King? Well, when you, you, you're starting with a real person and a real story, you know, you've got a lot of material already there. Uh, you know, in some ways, it's, it can be a hindrance, though. You know, you try to stay, stay true to the actual story and the actual circumstances, uh, and sometimes that doesn't comport with what you want to do. So when you're writing a fictional character, you sort of treat them as if they're real people and they really exist, yet you can kind of go to places that you're not uh, handcuffed to by the actual circumstance of their reality. So this was fun. I just made believe Dwight was a real guy and just let him be uh, who he would be and who, act how he would act. So it was, it was great. So, uh, you know, Dwight is obviously kind of maintains his profession, even though he tells people otherwise uh, when he's in Tulsa, he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, but you at one point were a lawyer. So what, what inspired that change from lawyer to screenwriter, I think several years ago now? Well, I, I was the worst lawyer ever, uh, which helped. Uh, I, you know, I, I, became, I became a lawyer for all the time. I, I did everything in my power not to be a writer because being a writer in Hollywood growing up in Brooklyn just sounded like the goofiest possible thing I could say. I wouldn't even say it out loud. I was embarrassed to admit that I wanted to move to Hollywood and be a writer. My friends would have thrown me in the creek. Uh, so I did everything I could to not do that. I, I, I wanted to be successful and you know, law school seemed like a good idea and I did it and didn't like it and didn't like being a lawyer. And I think that showed in my you know, poor performance. And I finally got to a crisis point in my mid to late 20s where I just finally said, all right, what is it you actually want to do when you wake up in the morning? And my deep, dark secret was I wanted to move to Hollywood and be a, a sitcom writer, That's which is where I started. And uh, once I was able to say that out loud, 
everything changed. I mean, I think my friends and family thought I lost my mind. I had never been west of Chicago. I'd never written a script before. Uh, but I knew in my heart this was my destiny and my calling. And I did the legal profession a favor and got on a plane and never looked back. You did us a favor, too, because now we have Tulsa King and all the other stuff. But I have to I have to ask, what was that first sitcom? What was the first sitcom you were uh, staffed on? The first sitcom I ever wrote on was a show called Sister Sister uh, with oh. uh, T. Of course. of course. If you look at me, yeah, of course. Obviously, I had to write that. So I did that. And I was on a show called The PJs with Eddie Murphy. It was a, uh, a, a foamation animated series where he played a superintendent of a housing project. Uh, but I bounced back and forth between dark comedies and drama with comedies and, and sitcom uh, work. Well, you know, I said, of course, not because, of course, you know, uh, tongue in cheek, whatever. Of course, because I know Sister Sister uh, yeah. in, in my house. My wife and I, that's one of our like sort of comfort shows from the 90s. <laughs> we'll just more, yeah, more props from kids of friends. Like, you know, they don't care that I wrote on the Sopranos when they found out I wrote on Sister Sister. They go, now I'm cool. <laughs> now I'm suddenly cool. And, uh, and Zeta Warriors. I get a lot of, lot of, lot of, uh, lot of love for that. Yeah. And that's that's amazing. I think you're kind of cool for all the, the the very uh, eclectic combination of these different shows. Uh, so looking back uh, on all these shows, but I guess more specifically ones like The Sopranos, who has been your favorite gangster to write? Uh, Uncle Junior, probably. Uh, you know, just you know, yeah. such an interesting. You know, first of all, you know the fact that he was older uh, allowed me to put words in, in his mouth that you couldn't get from the other younger characters. So, you know, old expressions, old idioms, just things that, you know, looking at the world through the lens of a 75 year old man, you know, in, in the year 2000, you know, it was really fun. And also he was just so devious and selfish and petty and funny, uh, you know, just, it was such a joy to write for him. And then to hear Dominic Chinesi say those lines, just, you know, just always made me laugh. So, I mean, I loved writing for all of them, but he was probably my favorite one. Okay, and uh, I, I'm really getting in the weeds here, but this is a question I actually want the answer to. Besides Sylvester Stallone, who, what character intrigued you the most that you brought to the table with Tulsa King? Um, it's a good question. Uh, I think Max Casella's character, uh, Armand, uh, you know, you, you get to meet him as the series progresses, but he's a guy you see in the pilot who's in Tulsa and is kind of acting a little squirrely. But as you get to know this character, you know, he's a guy who's sort of on the run from his true self and on the run from his life. And he slowly, uh, you know, kind of accepts who he is as the course of the series goes on. I can't give a, a lot much more than that for, for fear of spoiling anything, but uh, it was an interesting psychological study for a character. Yeah, I, I think you do a good job too of, uh, I mean, obviously, but of populating the world uh, around. I, you know, when they go to the bar, and at first you kind of just see this bartender, but it turns out we're going to see a lot more of him, at least in the first episodes yeah. I saw, and his father. Um, when you're doing this world building, is that, you know, the beginning part of the process? Does that come naturally, or is that something, you know, when do you start incorporating these characters as you're as you're sort of sketching out the show? Well, it comes, you know, organically through the writing. You know, he starts encountering people and you try to create uh, characters who are, you know, you haven't seen before who are, you know, feel like real people and then just sort of let them behave with each other. But then you start thinking about, all right, who is this person? What is his backstory? You know, for example, Garrett Hedlund's character is a great example. In many ways, he's the, uh, you know, the, the, the Tulsa version of Dwight. He's a guy who's been to jail. 
Uh, he's trying to, you know, make amends for the sins of his own past. He's sort of trying to be a better person. He takes care of his elderly father who he brings to work with him because he needs to babysit him and he can't leave him home alone. So, you know, there's a, there's a decent streak in this guy, you know, much like Dwight. You know, they couldn't be more opposite. You know, uh, Garrett's character is a former bull rider, you know, rides horses. The closest uh, Stallone's character has ever gotten to a horse is Belmont Racetrack. So they're very different people, and yet in some ways they're very same. They're kindred spirits, and that partnership continues throughout the series. So it's kind of fun. And, you know, you sort of do that with every character. You like, who is this guy? Where are they coming from? How they end up there? What do they think of Dwight? And, you know, before you know it, this is the great gift of doing a, a, a series. You know, you've got hours and hours in which to explore these characters and create these worlds and universes and backstories. And by the time you end it, you go, oh, my God, we created a whole universe of people, none of whom are real. But who all inhabit each other's worlds and all know each other and their lives crisscross in really interesting ways. And it's it's really, really fun. They're real to me now. But uh, I also have a very real tweet question from someone, uh, Stanley Cos. Yeah. He says, Terry, I'm so excited for Tulsa King. Did you use any of your personal experience to influence any part of Tulsa King? Can you tell us any of your famous stories about working in the butcher shop or some of the hijinks from grade school? Uh, thank you for that question. Uh, well, my personal experience, you know, in, in Tulsa King was really just, you know, again, I'm this New Yorky guy, not a mobster, obviously, uh, but, you know, just drop myself into Tulsa and, okay, what do I think? What do people think about me? So I just sort of took it from there. Uh, you know, working in a, a, a mob-owned butcher shop as a kid was sort of my graduate school for what I did later. Uh, I also worked in a card game uh, run by uh, a, a pretty prominent gangster in Brooklyn when I was a teenager. It was very similar to the job Henry Hill had in Goodfellas, where I was the kid who gave out the coffee and the cake. So I know just by osmosis, I just listened and learned and observed how these guys would talk. Uh, the butcher shop was funny. Every once in a while, guys in suits would show up and they would uh, go into the big walk-in refrigerator to have meetings. And I was told to take a walk and I'd have to go across the street and sit in a candy store. Uh, you know, I'm, as I'm saying this, it sounds like a, a bad movie from the 40s, but I literally have to sit at the counter <laughs> in the like candy the store until they came out and then, uh, you know, move on. And, you know, of course, I just, you know, learn how to keep my mouth shut and, you know, and mind my own business at a very early age. I love it. And I'm glad that you didn't end up, uh, you know, quite like Henry Hill if, at all. Like you Henry and... Hill. <laughs> uh, and I'm grateful that we got Tulsa King out of that eventually. Yeah. But unfortunately, we are out of time. So we will have to leave it right there. Terrence Winter, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Great talking to you. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.